Hey, hockey moms, check out bluelinehockeyclub.com for all the past and future podcasts. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by... Ever wonder why hockey sticks cost so damn much? What makes them so expensive? The carbon? The tooling? Nope, it's the marketing. Sponsoring those pros, buying advertising, it adds up. And you pay for all of it. So the guys at ARC Hockey started ARC to make state-of-the-art sticks that don't cost a car payment. And while their sticks are handmade of a 100% high-quality carbon fiber in the same factories as the big brands, they are bringing them directly to you from the only place you can find them, archhockey.com. No pros, no middlemen, no endorsement contracts to pay for, just guys like you who love hockey. So check them out at archhockey.com. That's A-R-C-Hockey.com. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Blue Line Hockey Club. We have episode 43 coming at you tonight. We have the usual suspects in the house. Patrick, Uncle Lardy Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. And our IT guy, local nerd on staff, Robbie P. Peters. Hey, how's your mom and them? And the all-around sports guru, Derek D-Train D2. What's up, D-Train? What's up, Tweedos? And your host, Mark the Doctor Morley. And very special guest sitting in with us tonight, Theo Fleury, a legend in the hockey world, the Stanley Cup champion, gold medalist for Team Canada, has been on the All-Star team a couple different times and played in over a thousand NHL games. So he's played a little hockey in his lifetime. And it's a pleasure to have Theo on the Blue Line Hockey Club tonight, and you know, we're going to get into a little bit of his story. So, Theo, are you out in uh, the West Coast today? I'm out in Calgary today, yep. Calgary, nice. all right. I love that city. Cowtown. Good good place, good town. Flames are playing well, so everybody's yeah. happy. Yeah, 7-1. I think they won last night, so they're they're flying out there for sure. Matthew Kachuk had a couple mm-hmm. goals. It's a good stud for them. Yeah. It's good. Whenever the Flames are doing well, the city is always in a good mood. So, <laughs> yeah. Is that home for you now? Yeah. 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 Hockey's like religion here. So, yeah. yeah Hockey yeah. and the uh, Stampede, right? Yep. That's right. The yeah. greatest, the greatest, the greatest outdoor gong show on the planet. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah. I saw Ron McClain. That's why, that's why I leave town during Stampede. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like college all over mm-hmm. nice well we're going to get into a little bit of uh your hockey history and uh just kind of fill us in on your story and some of the guys got some questions for you and the listeners have been waiting for this one we've had a lot of good feedback uh letting people know that you're coming out on the show so uh, it's going to be awesome gonna be a good show. so theo i just wanted to get into your uh rookie season 1989 you won a stanley cup uh, with Calgary, um, that team was just full of studs. Neuendijk, um, yourself, you know, um, Killer, um, Mike Vernon. I can just keep going on and on. It's like an all-star team. But with all those studs on one team, how was the uh, chemistry off the ice? Like, uh, that's, that's pretty big to win the Stanley Cup, I think. Part of, you know, the chemistry on and off the ice are pretty much the same, I think. And uh, what was the chemistry like with all those studs? And uh, another one on top of that is uh, 
what was uh, the next two nights or three nights like after you won the Stanley Cup that year? <laughs> well, um, you know, not not only not only uh, did we have a bunch of great hockey players, but we had a bunch of great people too. And I think that's probably the most important part was, uh, you know, the quality of people that we had, uh, you know, in that dressing room and, uh, you know, everybody got along and, uh, we enjoyed, uh, being around each other. And, uh, you know, the thing about, um, you know, the reason why I chose Calgary to live after, you know, my playing career was the simple fact that not only were you expected to be a great player as a part of the Calgary Flames organization, but you were also expected to be a good citizen and a good human being. And, you know, we were encouraged right from day one when we, uh, when we joined the Flames organization that we were expected to be involved in the community and get involved in charity and, and, you know, these different, you know, these types of things. And so, you know, it was really important for me uh, after I retired from the game that, uh, you know, I wanted to be involved in, uh, you know, the community of Calgary. And Calgary is a very giving community and uh, um, the, the community supports thousands upon thousands of charities. And and, uh, and so, um, you know, and we, we live 45 minutes probably from one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and that's the Rocky Mountains. And, so, you know, it's a great place to raise a family and, uh, and yeah, so, you know, all of those things combined, uh, you know, made us, uh, you know, a Stanley cup winning team that year. What was the, uh, what was the party like after that? You guys won the Stanley cup. That was, you know, I, I, I was, Don't I remember. was drunk for, tw- I was <laughs> drunk for 21, 21 days in a row. So <laughs> <laughs> you might've had a Vexen beat on that Oh, I, I, I had a bruised liver after that. <laughs> I guess so. A little inflamed. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you can but, relate to what the Capitals did last year. It was all over the social media with the yeah, cup everywhere and partying like crazy. Yeah, thank thank God there wasn't cell phones back in that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'd all be in a lot of trouble for sure. Yeah. But, you know, it's... Uh, you know, I think first and foremost, uh, when you're playing road hockey in Russell, Manitoba, and it's minus 50 outside, you know, you dream about Ugh. making it first, you know, and then I think once you make it, then you your goal switches to, you know, winning a Stanley Cup. And, you know, for me, I did that all in the same year. So it was, uh, it was a pretty incredible uh, thing to be a part of. You're welcome to the NHL. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Well, Theo, you know, uh, think, you spend know, their whole lives and think, never get to the Stanley Cup. First you know, year, and then you think, "Geez, well, that, that was easy. Maybe we should probably do a couple, three more of these." You know, which we probably should have, should have, but uh, we only won one, and it just goes to show you that uh, you know there's a reason why it's the hardest trophy to win on the planet. And, uh, For sure. You know, I, I played another 14 years and. The closest I got to winning another one was in Colorado and we lost the game. We lost in game seven to Dallas and Dallas went on to beat Buffalo, you know, for their first Stanley Cup. So, you know, and that team in Colorado was every bit as good as the team that I played on in Calgary when we won the Stanley Cup. So, Theo, how many games did you play in a season back in 89? 
Uh, I played 36 games that year. Well, I mean, Carl, I how many games I, did you guys play? Was it like an 80-game season or whatever it is now? Yeah, it was it was 80 games, but I got called up on January 1st of that year because I was mm-hmm. playing in Salt Lake City in the minors. And so I got called up halfway through the year and played 36 regular season games and then 22 playoff games. So you, so you want to talk a little bit, and when I was growing up playing hockey in the 80s and, you know, the 90s and stuff, um, as a youngster, I was kind of an undersized hockey player, and uh, I absolutely looked up to the way you played. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what it was like to be undersized and playing in a, at a time when clutch and grab was big and there's a lot of monsters out on the ice there? How would you make it as, a, as an undersized player? Well, I didn't consider myself a small player, you know. Yeah, um, yep. You know, it's hard to believe. Yeah, it was it was hard to believe that actually, you know, people referred to me as a power forward, you know, (laughs) in the era that that I played. But uh, you know, um, I think when I when I went to play in the Western Hockey League is really where I developed, you know, the style of play that I played played with in the NHL, and and uh, you know, you could obviously get away with a lot more things back in the day and uh i realized that my stick was the great equalizer and i used it and i wielded it you know very well and uh <laughs> you know and you know my style of play intimidated a lot of the other big guys because of that unpredictability you know they they didn't know whether i was going to kiss them or cut their eye out and, you know that's <laughs> what i wanted them you know, that's what I wanted them to think. And, and also, you know, I, I competed at a very high level, you know, uh, you know, I was willing to die in order to win. And, and, uh, I knew that the guys that I was competing against weren't willing to do that. And because of that, uh, um, and, you know, as a small player in order to be successful, you know, you need to get room on the ice to be able to, you know, do the things that you do well. And so, you know, I, I was very good at psychology, you know, and I used that as a, you know, as a weapon and as a, and as a thing to, to, to get the room, like I said, that I, that I needed on the ice to, to do well. And, you know, I was always a great power play guy and, and, uh, you know, I got a lot of points playing on the power play and, as my career evolved, and I always say this to, to young hockey players is, you know, if you're complaining about the ice time that you're receiving, then I said, you know, you need to get good at all aspects of the game. And so as my career evolved, you know, I made sure that I was a good face-off guy. I was a good penalty killer. Um, I was one of those guys that the coach trusted me in the last minute or 30 seconds of every period that I would win a face off or be good defensively in my own zone. And so, you know, I sort of evolved into, you know, an all round sort of, you know, reliable player as well. So, you know, I kind of got um, the dirty player stamp put on me a few times in my career. And, you know, I, I thought that going hard and finishing every check and being gritty in the corners and, and just going all out every shift um, kind of translated to other people watching me being, you know, maybe a dirty player because, you know, I never, you know, never gave it 
shift off and I was always, you know, played hard every second. You think that translates into the kind of player you were as far as, you know, you, you were in the corners, you were, you were digging, you were finishing checks, you were just playing all out every shift. You know, does that translate a little bit into what people might like, you know, a dirty player or, or just somebody that's just going really hard every time? Yeah, I didn't play the game to be liked. Right? <laughs> I played. I, I I played the game to win, and and unfortunately, you know, that was the style of play that I had to play in order to have success and 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 be in winning situations. And and uh, you know when and and it also you know I think sets the tone for the rest of the team if they see you know this little guy out there giving it all he has and. You know, it just forces all the other teammates to, you know, to get involved and, and uh, you know, play play the same way. Theo, do you remember your first scrap in the show? I do. I got Who my ass it? kicked. How'd you do? <laughs> I fought Ken Baumgartner. Ooh. <laughs> welcome to How'd the NHL again. Yeah, welcome to the NHL. Yeah. yeah. Well, what happened was, we called up a guy from the minors and we were playing against the Los Angeles Kings and Gretzky was playing. And this young guy absolutely ran over Gretz in the corner. And uh, Gretz's two wingers were Jay Miller and Ken Baumgartner. And uh, we had our fourth line out there, which I, which I was on. And a five on five started. And uh, unfortunately I got paired up with, uh, with Baumgartner and, uh, he basically one punched me and absolutely split my forehead open out of WWF and I was bleeding all over the place. And, and, uh, and what was hilarious was is actually Gretz was the guy that came and sort of grabbed me and said, Hey, we should probably get you to the bench. And as he's skating me, as he's skating me towards the bench, I, I think to myself, should I sucker Wayne Gretzky right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That might have changed and, your uh, trajectory. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I, I think it was a smart move that I didn't do that. And uh, yeah, so what was really cool is I went back in the dressing room. I got eight stitches and came back out in the ice and scored two goals and we won the game. So. You know, nice. wow, awesome story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was good. <laughs> so Theo, what do you think uh, about the current NHL now? With um, you know, fighting dramatically decreasing. Um, there's not too many um, fighters anymore. Um, you know, back then, you know, if somebody did cheap shot somebody or uh, run, uh, you know, one of your top players, yeah, they would get a penalty, but they also were going to get their asses kicked. It was almost like, you know, you police yourself out on the ice. So, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of getting away from that, um, you know, with Tom Wilson out there and uh, all these other kind of hits. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, I think when they, when they implemented the instigator rule, that's when the, you know, the game changed and, uh, you know, obviously with concussions and all that now, you know, the, uh, the game is just sort of taking a natural progression into a more finesse, uh, skating, more skilled game. And, uh, um, but yeah, I think back in the day we policed the game on the ice, the players did. And, 
you know, and that switched over where the league, you know, is policing the game. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, I say the refing was so bad back in our day that they had to add another bad ref on the ice. So now there's four <laughs> bad refs on the ice. And, uh, and not, and not only, and not only that, um, you know, there's like 30 cameras, you yeah, know, right. every, everywhere. So, you know, you, you can't get away with the stuff that we, you know, that we used to get away with back in the day, you know, or you could, or you could slash and spear guys behind the play and, you know, do all that, do all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a different game. Um, I think the game is way too overcoached. You know, I think they're just playing Xbox with these guys. And, uh, you know, the, the creativity of the game is a lot different. You know, you don't see a whole lot of one-on-one play. You know, maybe from, you know, your top lines, they have a little bit more free reign. But after that, everybody's sort of cloned into playing one style of game. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely a different game. And, you know... Uh, you know, I often say to people, you know, can you imagine if a coach, if I was playing in the game now and a coach after a shift came up to me with a fucking iPad, you know? Go <laughs> fuck out of here. I would, I would smash that thing into a thousand pieces. Oh, that's funny. You know, I'm a smart enough, intelligent enough hockey player to know when I make a mistake on the ice. Yeah. And I would, and I would also say to him, I'm the only guy on this bench who can actually make up for that mistake. So take that fucking iPad and shove it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Theo, yeah. just a quick one. Do you think you can play in today's game or no? Well, I was up in Edmonton. I got invited by the Oilers to come and do a tour of the rink. And I sat in the owner's box and I was watching McDavid play. And I was like, you know what, if I got my fat ass in shape, I guarantee I could score 25 goals still at 50 years old playing with Connor McDavid. <laughs> yeah. On a line, yeah. Nice. Let's see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get all the agent. Get on that Peloton yeah. and get pedaling. Yeah, and I would take minimum salary to do that. <laughs> <laughs> still pretty so you good still have the drive, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, I... In my head, I can still play, but my body always tells me, you know, that there's no so chance. No. <laughs> yeah. You can't have darts in yeah. between periods anymore either. No, I know. <laughs> no, the game's changed a lot for sure. Yeah, we used to we, had, we used to have a smoking room in the minors in Salt Lake. It was awesome. <laughs> you'd have like you'd have like sixteen guys in the smoking room. In, be- in between periods. <laughs> That's awesome. Hurry up, guys. Same bonus off. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Theo, we had your boy, uh, Carrie Frazier, on. And, uh, yeah. you know, he had a lot of good things to say about you. One of the things he did say is you absolutely hated him when you got into the, you know, to the league. Can you share any stories about Carrie Frazier? Well, I used to go every time I used to see the game notes, and I'd see that his name was on the 
on the list to be rough. And then I go into the coach's office and I said, just make me a healthy scratch because I'm just going to be in the penalty box all night. So <laughs> I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was about about uh, him and and me, but uh, you know, I, I think he had a resentment that he had to be a referee because he wasn't good enough to actually be an NHL hockey player. So he <laughs> took out all of his he took all all of his resentment and uh, um, all that stuff out on me. But uh, you know, I've got to know Kerry uh, in retirement. Uh, he used to do a cross Canada tour called the NHL Legends Tour, and he was our uh, he was our referee, and so I got to know him on a on a very personal level, and uh, you know we we become good friends off the ice, and and uh, you know we we often talk about those run-ins that we had. I actually challenged him to a fight outside the old <laughs> Chicago Stadium one night, and. Uh, you know, obviously he didn't show up to be. I think he mentioned that actually when we talked to him. Yeah. Yeah. He, he told us yeah. about this story. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, so. was telling us after you got sober, um, there was a player that was talking shit to you, and it you know pissed you yep. off. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you know he he was telling us how he went and talked to him. Do you remember his name? I don't recall his name. He's the color guy in uh, Arizona. On uh, TV, uh, Tyson Nash. Um, oh, Nash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so. he had him uh, apologize to you for for talking shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a very it was a very classy thing for him to do. So I thought that was that was really cool. Well, he was telling us after we both had retired and got a chance to travel together that you had become good, you know, closer friends and we're on the ice together. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's a great guy, and uh, actually, his his uh, one of his kids came to my hockey school in Calgary one year. So, nice. You still using the freeze and shine? <laughs> What's that? You still using the freeze and shine <laughs> on his hair? Yeah, the soul glow, the <laughs> soul glow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I used to, I, used to, I used to tell him all the time there wasn't enough mustard and relish to spread all over him. <laughs> He's a, a big golf promoter now. I see you golf a little bit, Theo. How's your golf game? You know what, boys? That's all I do in the summer. Lucky uh, you. Basically, I, uh, I'm i on the road 250 days of the year now, speaking all over North America. And so that's awesome. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm home in the summertime, that's all I do is I, I play golf every single day. So from... From the time the sun comes up until the sun goes down, I'm at the golf course either practicing or playing or doing something. So that's uh, cool. Yeah, awful. Well, for me, it's 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 like it's like meditation, and it you know it's uh I love being outside, and uh, you know the whole focus of the game of golf is try to hit the golf ball in the middle of the club face every every time and so you know i don't really think about a whole lot when i'm out on the golf course other than trying to accomplish that feat every time i swing the golf club yeah for me i don't hit it in the middle very often so i'm more frustrated than (laughs) than relaxed no much not much meditation for me (laughs) yeah well i I, i'm a scratch i'm a scratch golfer and i have been for many many years and uh you know, like I said, I take the game very seriously, and and I, I practice, I practice 
pretty much every day and and uh yeah i i, I just love the game nice that's where you're putting your competitive juices right now yeah that's right that's awesome that's hey want to uh, just get into a little bit we know we've we've uh, read your books and you know it's been like a bestseller and you know that's kind of been probably a part of big part of what you've been doing with your speaking and stuff like that and i know you have a golf tournament and some other fundraisers you do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about you know what you've been doing promoting your books and give them a little bit of a insight on that mm -hmm. for many years i was carrying a secret around and and uh and in 2009 i wrote a book about my life and you know told the whole entire story and and uh you know that writing of the book really sort of changed my life and changed my trajectory in life and and uh what i realized was by telling my own story was that i could help other people find their voice and and uh well you know like i said i've been i've been pretty much flat out hair straight back for the last 10 years you know working in the field of trauma mental health and addiction and trying to you know trying to help people come to grips with uh you know with their own trauma their own mental health uh, experiences and also addiction stuff as well and uh you know it's been very rewarding and and uh you know like i said I it changed my life there. and yeah and and get, and gave me you know a whole new purpose in life and and uh yeah it's been like i said it's been incredible and uh you know like i said very very rewarding so me personally i played in uh in the professional indoor lacrosse league and we actually played the roughnecks up in calgary and edmonton and a few other canadian cities and you know big part of playing on those teams is getting blasted every night after we played a game and you know partying hard um you know i think a lot of athletes you know i'm i'm one of them that's sober now um get caught up in the party life and you know because you're put up on a pedestal and you're a professional athlete and you know go out to the bars and you got girls all over you and you know it's fun to you know go out and let your hair out, hair down and do you think a lot of the athletes um you know fall into that binge drinking and um substance abuse and stuff like that because of the lifestyle no i i would say you know we play a very high stressful sport you know and it's yeah. intense and and uh you know um you know when you when you play 80 games a year you're all you're not going to be at the top of your game all the time and so you know we use different kinds of uh you know uppers you know whether that was ripped fuel or pseudofeds or agent orange or whatever it is so <laughs> you know at the end at the end of a game you're so jacked up that you can't sleep and so you know a couple of beers a few shots you know here and there you know allows you to calm down right so that you can you know you can sleep or you got to take a sleeping pill or whatever it is and and so you know I, I think that all of that combined with you know uh yeah it's fun to you know it's it's all ego driven stuff you know what i mean and you know once you leave the game you know they forget about you pretty quick and so yeah. You know, it's it's a bit of a, a hit to, uh, you know, to your ego. And so, you know, you, you learn about humility and, and uh, you know, you learn about what's really important in life. And, you know, that's family and your kids and your relationship with your spouse. And, 
and all those things. And you realize, you know, that that's more important than, you know, carrying on this lifestyle of, uh, you know, being irresponsible, so to speak. And, and, uh, you know, eventually, you know, we, we come to, to, you know, make a choice where, you know, I, I want to live a, you know, a simple, you know, life. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, those are, those relationships with, you know, your friends and your family are, are the ones that, you know, matter the most when you're, you know, when you're no longer playing, playing the game. Amen. Yeah, we had, a, we had Grant Fuhr on a little while back and, you know, he had his own bout with substance abuse and, and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he was saying, you know, it wasn't, uh, what's the club in New York city, uh, uh, studio 54, you know, he was yeah. like yeah. 20 years old and they were taking him out to, studio 54 and things were getting passed around and you know i said it wasn't too hard to fall into stuff like that and then you get into it too much and you know it was just kind of the you know lifestyle of partying with some famous people and um, you know he battled with it and it was just one of those things like you know the party's got to stop eventually to you know be a responsible person it seems like it happens to more athletes than we know yeah it's you know it all comes with the territory you know that uh you know, I don't know if the guys do it as much as we did. You know, we pretty much <laughs> win or lose, we're in the booze. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the money wasn't, you know, the, the money wasn't as big as it, as it is nowadays. And, you know, there's a lot more competition and, uh, you know, careers are shorter. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I think, kids are a lot more focused and more prepared and you know like we used to go to training camp to get in shape you know (laughs) (laughs) and and now and now it's like you're expected to be in you know december shape you know right from the drop of the puck so you know the game has evolved the game has changed and you know so you know it's funny I didn't even go to the draft and now these kids go to the draft and they have a, you know, they have a financial guy, they have an agent, they have a chef, they have a <laughs> personal trainer, concierge you know, service, you know, and it's, you know, you're basically a business within the big business of hockey. So, you know, you have 23 guys who have their own business within the big business. And so, you know, it's, it's really different, you know, and, uh, you know, I went, I went and toured the, the Edmonton Oilers new facility in Edmonton. Their dressing room is 32,000 square feet. Wow. wow. 32,000. That's insane. That's that insane. Is. I thought you would say like 3,200. <laughs> no, 32,000 square feet. Oh. And they have a full-time, they have a full-time chef. They don't ever have to cook a meal. Everything's done there. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, my breakfast in the morning consisted of three cigarettes and a Tim Hortons <laughs> coffee on my way to practice, you know? You guys needed a full-time uh, bartender back then instead of the chef. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sure. These kids, when they get out of league, aren't know what the fuck to do with themselves. <laughs> exactly. They don't know how to wipe their own ass. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming on, Theo, and uh, if there's anything we can do to get you into the Hockey Hall of Fame, man, you totally deserve it, and uh, you're a class act guy, and we appreciate everything you do, and and thanks for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Let's get you into uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame.
Yeah, that would be Maybe nice. on the line with uh, with David. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I might have to come back because I, I, I didn't get to the 500 gold mark. So yeah, it's nice to play with McDavid and get those whatever 35 or 45 goals I need to get to 500. So you I thought I read that you're 62 overall in points still. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's not bad. Yeah. Pretty damn good. Yeah, not bad. Not bad for a guy that wasn't supposed to play one game in the National Hockey League. So, <laughs> all right, dude. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. Be well. Take care, man. Yep. Thank you so much. Get you on again. My pleasure. All right. Sounds good. Take care. All right, boys. Uh, pretty awesome interview with Theon Fleury. Uh, what a great career he's had in in the NHL, and I mean, we didn't even touch on too much of his Olympics experiences and winning gold medal for Canada. I mean, that's uh, that in itself is huge to uh, play for your country in the Olympics. And you know, we talk about a guy that's five six playing back in the '80s and the <laughs> '90s. You know, that's uh, that's a big feat. You know, we went through that. Um, you know, when you were a big guy and you were trying to even get into a D1 program for college or you know, especially in the defensive era, you weren't, you need to be 6'2", 6'3", 225 pounds to, to, to make it. So, you know, he uh, defeated those odds and, you know, like he said, probably wasn't supposed to play in the NHL, but he was a hard, hard nosed, gritty player. And, you know, obviously he knew how to score goals too. So, you know, 62 on the all time points list and it's not too shabby there. So. Cool dude, man. He, they don't make these players like these guys anymore. You know, they just really don't. Uh, it's, it's neat. I mean, you can, I guess we, we look back, like when we, even on a small scale, like playing high school hockey, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like how we did it. You know, you were getting drunk on the weekends and stuff like that, or, you know, doing stuff we shouldn't do constantly. And I don't know. It's, it's a lost art. This, this, uh, this party and lifestyle is a lost art these days. It is. It's yeah, like said, you know, they got private jets that are just flying them right out of the cities uh, that night. You know, they're not even sticking around to go out and have those party nights and wherever they are. And, you know, things are a lot more structured and, you know, coaches know a lot more what's going on. Plus social media, they can't get away with stuff. They probably used to go out to the bars and, you know, do crazy things that no one ever knew about. But, you know, the days of uh, cell phone cameras and social media kind of got to be on their best behavior. It's kind of interesting too, like you know, hear him talk about, and well, you think about these players that are playing now that are pampered the way they are. You know, like when they do get out of the league and they get out of that structure of of life, it it's probably going to be a hell of a shock to the system when they get out. Yeah, definitely. Like he was yeah. saying, they can't even wipe their own asses. But uh, yeah, they have all these people that set everything up. You know, they go. Um, room service they uh, order out now ordering out's bigger than back in the 80s you know you can order food anywhere so uh, they don't even have to cook their own food uh, personal trainers uh, financial advisors um, all that I mean there's nothing yeah nothing that they you know do on their own besides show up to the rank so you're right he to what you said I mean when the real world hits them it's going to be a shocker and you know everyone thinks everything's cool because you play in the nhl but once that season's over like um, you said you know, there's so much more money in the league now so now you just have like all these other little leeches that have you know worked themselves into that big honeypot you know what i mean trying to get a, 
oh, you absolutely have to have this financial advisor. You have to have this dietitian working for you. You know, like it's just a, it's kind of like a crapshoot. Yeah, you don't even manage your own money. I mean, some of these rookies going into the league now, um, most of them don't even know how much money they have, you know, on a month-to-month basis. It's almost like they still live uh, like they did in college. Um, and you text a guy to uh, find out if you can do, you know, something tomorrow night and see yeah. if you have enough money in there. It's kind of it's kind of weird. But uh, what a great uh, uh, interview with Theo. I, I just keep going back to Theo back in the, you know, early 90s with his, his Jofa mask on, no visor playing you know for the rangers in calgary obviously but uh yeah. what a great guy i see uh anderson's, real. anderson's coming back for toronto tonight his first game back um with toronto we've had uh he went out with a groin injury and uh so he's playing tonight against colorado which is huge for toronto they've been four and four without him um i think they're like seven points behind tampa and, um, you know, that was kind of a, a dagger to them. You know, they have this incredible team. Um, they're still up top, but, I mean, I think they would be closer uh, up to the top if Anderson didn't get hurt. And it just goes to show that you can have a team like Toronto and uh, one little injury to Matthews or your top goalie can uh, put you back a little bit. But uh, we'll see how he does tonight. There's a lot of games going on tonight, actually. I know the Wilds down in Philly. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's crazy. This this time of year, you know, halfway through the season is when they start getting these injuries. You know, guys are playing night in, night out. They're getting tired. They're, you know, might not be finishing a check, so they lay off a little bit and they get hit and they get injured. You know, so I think we're going to start to see some more injuries. And with that, you know, the trade line deadline's coming up here uh, in February. So, you know, it's interesting to see if some of these teams that are bruised up a little bit trade up to fill fill these spots for the playoffs and the uh, you know, playoffs. You know, we touched a little bit on it before, but, you know, look at a team like uh, Anaheim, right? They were on fire. Um, I think they're 19 and 18 now or something like that, but they lost the last 10 games in a row. So you take a team that was 19 and 8 and now they're 19 and 18, right? So, you know, they were right up there. Um, You know, everybody's talking about Anaheim looking good for the playoffs. And now, even though they've lost 10 games in a row, they're still only a couple of games out of the wild card. But, you know, that team has just, like, you know, fallen off the, the wagon and struggling bad. Oh, and I was hoping that Buffalo would do a little bit better. There are a few points behind the wild card in the East, man. You know, we've been rooting for Buffalo all year. Um, I'm hoping they kind of turn things around here, and they've lost two um, the last two games, and they play uh, Edmonton in Edmonton tonight, so that doesn't look too good for them. Um, but – uh Pittsburgh's on a roll too. They've won a lot of games. I think they're they just lost their last one, but they're eight and two in their last ten games. So uh, they're on a roll too. Yeah, just to touch a little bit about Tampa Bay, they're still pretty hot. Um, they just lost last night, but it was the first time they lost a, a team from the Central all season. So the Islanders, Islanders beat yeah. them five to one. I mean. How would you – you can't go bet against that. There's still uh, goal differentials, plus 56 with Tampa. That's huge, man. They got a lot of goal scorers on that team. Islanders are, are sneaky good, though, man. They're sitting – they're right at the wild card, man. They're good, man. They're coming they up. 
Trotz is uh, doing something right down there. They're seventh in the Eastern Conference, uh, 54 points, um, just behind Pittsburgh and Boston. So, I mean, another win could bring them up in fifth place in the Eastern Conference. So, um, you're right. The Islanders are no one to uh, bad an eye at. They're pretty freaking good. Hang yeah, around there for sure. That, that's why I remember last week I mentioned they're, I think they're a team if they squeak into the playoffs, uh, I don't think you'd want to, I mean, you know, I mean, I think they can kind of play with anybody, it's, it seems, and I wouldn't want to get mashed up with them as like, as them be like an eight seed or something like that. No, that, yeah. that'd be it. That'd be a tough matchup for sure. They, they're in the wild card above uh, Montreal. So Buffalo's yeah. right behind them with 52 points. Montreal's got 53 and then the Islanders at 54. So, I mean, that can go up and down like the stock market, you know, Carolina's right there too. So, uh, yeah, Islanders, if you had to match them up one and eight in the playoffs, that'd be a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I missed both. Rangers Rangers have been dropping some games, huh, Marley? Yeah. Yeah. They've been struggling a little bit. Um, I misspoke. I meant to say Tampa Bay, uh, hasn't lost to anybody in the Metro division, but um, just a real quick, we had Kevin Lalonde talking about goalie equipment and stuff like that last week. And I'm just looking over the scores from last night. I don't know if you guys have had a chance, but the least amount of goals scored was six goals. We had Predators, Hurricanes, 6-3. Rangers, Blue Jackets was 7-5. Ducks, uh, Jets, 3-4. Islanders uh, over the Lightning, 5-1. 5-1 Canucks over Panthers and the Calgary Flames 7-1, right? So we got eight goals scored. We've got, you know, nine goals scored, 12 goals scored. I mean, Jesus Christ, man, that's crazy amount of goals being scored. Yeah, there's like 13 people in the running for over 100 points this year, which is crazy. I think the last time that happened was the 92-93 season. Uh, you know, you had Lemieux and all those boys back then. And, yeah, so – you know, with the smaller goalie equipment, less clutch and grab, you know, the way the NHL is going, um, we're, we're seeing more, more goals in a game, like eight goals, seven to one Calgary beat Arizona last night. That's crazy. That's multiple people on the score sheet, you know, compared to back then when it was, you know, two to one, um, not too many people got on the score sheet there. So. Yeah. I mean, the Rangers game, there's 12 goals. You know, yeah. Predators game nine goals. I mean, they're going to have to uh, take the uh, NHL on the fly and make it an hour show just to so- show the highlights, man. It's like yeah. So you say nine goal, you know, twelve goals, twelve goals. So you times that by two because someone's getting assists. So twenty four points in that game last night. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of records being broke uh, coming into these next few years if it keeps going like this with a you know, high pace, high scoring. You know, they've changed the overtime and, and everything like that to create more goals. And it just seems like, you know, some of these guys, like you talk about Theo Fleury, 62 on the overtime all-time list. You know, I don't think they were scoring goals like this back then. It seems like this is kind of a new era of NHL hockey. It's great for the fans to watch, but, you know, at some point, I think they need to start uh, stop changing rules, you know, just to make the game faster and, and more goals being scored. Because at some point, the founders that created this game – you know, created it for a reason and it was meant to be played that way. Um, you know, so how much can you change it to get away from the original original hockey game? So I'd, I'd like to see some of this rule changing and, and, you know, keep it the way it is for now. Yeah, I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation. We, we talk about this every week. 
uh, the changes that are coming. And Theo said it today. These guys are like Xbox players. They're they're scripted, you know. Whereas I think back in those days, they had a, a, a different passion, a different drive. They they were there, certainly still for the love of the game, but something's changed. I, just in the you know, the fundamentals of the game, obviously, but over overcoach, like you said, it's, it's overcoaching. You know, you're not you're not letting players play with personality like they used to. You know, um, everything. I don't know if you guys watched that the Rangers uh, game last night. After the game, Chris Kreider was interviewed, and he was talking about you know how they've been getting off the slow starts and stuff. But he then continued to like give a response as to like the reason for not playing well, and it was like such a canned response like a you know like basically like coach says that we need to do this you know what i mean it was like and then he just kept like reiterating the same canned response you know like as to why they aren't playing well um almost like a robotic kind of, of way he was talking you know and it's just i think what's happening is you're making these guys make a lot of coaches now make the make the kids play such a tight system and they don't allow them to get out of that system and it doesn't allow people to play with a lot of personality anymore Creativity, um, creativity, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's overcoaching, and it's starting at a very, very young level. You know, where they're getting overcoached now. So, yeah, I just, I just, sorry, I just see that. Uh, speaking of, you know, Anaheim, um, they just traded Andrew Caligno uh, to Dallas Stars for uh, Devin Shore uh, just minutes ago. So. It looks like Anaheim Ducks are actually uh, making some moves out there before the uh, trade deadline to try to short up, short up their team, fire up some people. Yeah, just to touch on that one topic real quick that we were just on, uh, you know, with the overcoaching, Derek, and you hit it on the head. I think that starts at a young level, and I think everything starts with money, right? So, you know, the NHL is giving USA Hockey a lot of money now, so that money is being spent on overcoaching young kids and. Every coach is taught that we need to do cross ice, and this is how you took every kid should be coached this way. Um, these are the drills that you should run. This is how you should run your practice. Everything, even down to mini mites, they're telling you what to do, right? So, all this money's flowing from the NHL down into USA hockey, and you know, they're getting overcoached then. And then, the flip side of it, the, the amount of money the players are getting paid, the amount of money that the NHL makes now has changed the way the players are treated, the way they, the coaches are expected to coach. And, uh, you know, like you said, some of the creative creativity of coaches is being lost, um, even at this, this young age, right? Like, so some of us coach minor hockey, and basically when we played, whoever your coach was, that's how you were coached. That's how you were taught. That's the way you were learned how to play the game. Now you have people from a higher level telling all these coaches, this is how you coach your kids. This is what you need to do. These are the drills you need to do. This is how you motivate players opposed to, you know, just letting that minor hockey system coach the kids the way they want to. So you, you, have, little kids, you have little kids going to freaking film review on the weekends and stuff. Like, I mean, just stop. I mean, what the hell are we doing to these people? You know, like, I don't know. It's just, money. Uh, you're taking money and you, but you're sucking the fun out of it. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're totally sucking the fun out of it. I mean, it's not what it's about when the kids are this little, when their kids are that little. It's just, I just think it's so wrong. I mean, maybe there's a lot of people that disagree with me because they'll say that's the way it is now. You got to do it. That doesn't make it not, that doesn't make it uh, right, in my opinion. I think the way it's gone is kind of shitty. 
you know, so even the aspect of some of these young teams and young kids, um, they're pushing off-ice training, right? So a lot of these programs that are more organized than others have these kids doing off-ice training during the season as like a practice, right? So they might not have ice time on Thursday. They have off-ice training for these kids, and they have them doing calisthenics and all this other stuff to, like, you know, make their skills better and, you know, make them stronger. You know, they want the kids to get to the game an hour before so they can do, before they get on the ice, they're doing, uh, even before practice, we want to do 15, 20 minutes out in the, in the hallways with um, off-ice training before practice starts. I mean, before it was, you know, when we were kids, you were out playing pinball, um, getting a hot dog at the concession stand, and then you well, went. That was Rob. <laughs> but you know, Couple now they got to get there early, and they got to put 20 minutes into running up and down high knees and you know calisthenics in the hallways before they get on the ice. You know, so <laughs> I mean, I went to the clinics for USA Hockey this year, and they're pushing the coaches to make sure these kids are doing off ice, and that's like the big push now because the Russians did it when they beat us, you know, in the fucking Olympics. Well, these kids aren't going to the Olympics. They're going to uh, 6U practice. So, you know, it's they're pushing it, and it's taking some of the fun out of the game for the kids. Stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I the intention, I, I think, is there, and it's, I, I, well, it's debatable whether, the, you know, the results are going to show things out. But, I mean, to be doing this stuff at 8U, it just seems like we're missing the point. 6U, 8U, um, these kids can't stop and start, and we're throwing pucks and trying to get them to skate backwards with a puck in their hands when they can't even skate backwards. Uh, just, we got out of whack here somehow. The Europeans don't even put pucks on the ice, and, you know, when they're young like that, they just learn how to skate, you know, then we'll, they'll get the pucks introduced later, you know, and that's why they're, you know, seem to be really good skaters in the, in the Euro Leagues. But, you know, another part of that is, in the United States, you might have like an elite uh, squirt team playing 85 games. Um, over in Europe, they might play, they don't play games, I don't think, till like Peewees or Bantams, and they start playing games. You know, so their focus is mainly just skills first, you know, and then we'll work on concept and gameplay later. Our eight U's have a travel, like a, we have our, what's called like our house league and the, the mini might league and the might leagues. They also are taking these same eight-year-olds going to an, uh, I'm not sure if you can call it an elite travel, but they're a travel. And, you know, at 8U, you're going, in, I think they're called the Rivermen. But, uh, you know, that's a big thing right now is you're taking your kids out of the league and going to, like, another travel outside of the travel league they're playing right now. For me as a parent... I don't get it. As a former athlete, not that I was that great, but I still don't get it. So, Yeah, and they're, they're taking squirts and they're going to, you know, you might be in Boston one weekend and you might be in Buffalo and you're in Syracuse. And, you know, every weekend the parent has to get a hotel room for two nights. They got to travel to where they're, wherever they're going. And uh, my nephew plays, he was playing for the, the Syracuse Nationals at, in a squirt level. And I think his parents said they had like 15 grand in travel for the year, sure. you know, including, you know, anything you better else. Be sure, your kid's pretty damn good if you're doing that. Holy yeah, shit! They actually took him out of the took him out of the nationals playing for um, Skinny Atlas now because they didn't feel like traveling all over the you know East Coast every weekend. So, 
know, they made that decision and, uh, you know, they might put them back in the Nats next year, but it was just a lot of time and tons of money. And is it worth it at, you know, 10 years old? Kids are supposed to be playing and having fun. It turned it into a business right from the get go. It goes back to what Theo was saying in, in the interview. Like, you know, this is a, it's like a massive business now with multiple layers and like that, the business feel of it has marched its way all the way down into the little guys. So, and to be clear, at 8U, 10U, that's mom and dad pushing that. That's yeah. not the case. Oh, I know. And I'm no, I know. That's what I mean. I think there's there's many people that have lost their mind throughout this whole process. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got six games on the slate tonight, boys. We got uh, actually uh, Boston's playing the Canadians tonight. That's a big rivalry. We got the Wild at Philadelphia. Blues are playing the Capitals. Hopefully the Sabres can uh, – they're actually in Edmonton tonight. Hopefully they can get a W out there. Um, and then we got Blackhawks, Devils, and Avalanche and Maple Leafs. So a few games on the uh, tube tonight. So uh, check check out those games. Doing it in. And let's go Chiefs. Yeah, a couple more Chiefs. things. Just to touch on uh, Theo Fleury a little bit and his story that we didn't touch on with him. Um, just to talk about parents spending 10 grand, 15 grand to travel. Uh, when he was young, his dad was an alcoholic. His mom was a... Um, was addicted to drugs apparently and um community members uh like he found an old broken stick and some used pads and that's how he got started and people in the community helped him get around and make sure he had food and make sure he got to practice and you know a guy like that that had you know not a lot going on in his family life was still able to make it just by being a good athlete and you know playing his game so you know it, it doesn't you don't have to be wealthy um good story right there great story you know yeah. making it you know, uh, and, and nowadays they're saying if you don't have the money, fuck it, fuck you, you're out. Yeah, yeah. good story there. You know, he was a guy that came from not too much, and you know, look at a thousand games. And not sure if that would happen today, though. That's the thing. Yeah, maybe in Canada. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that would happen. I can remember when I first started playing hockey. Um, Stevie Craig would get uh, sticks out of the uh, Appleton Arena that were already broken and cut because i was obviously tiny you know what i mean so they're broken up at a point where he just cut off the broken part and that was my stick right there so <laughs> right. he well, heated up, up and put a curve on it underneath the door uh, all these equipment exchanges and you mix yeah. and match and do what you can do yeah but now we have equipment sitting in the pavilion that nobody wants to touch you know yeah. for embarrassment i don't know what that yeah. We have a new partnership coming on board with the Blue Line Hockey Club with ARC Hockey. If you haven't checked them out, go onto their site. Um, ARC Hockey is uh, specializing in sticks, and, um, you know, they have a couple different models now and, uh, you know, really cool sticks that we're actually getting a couple in the mail this week that we're going to be giving away on the next couple shows. So make sure you tune in and you know, figure out how you can win an ARC Hockey stick. They're going to be a proud sponsor of the Blue Line Hockey Club. And, um, the rest of the month. So check out their website if you're looking for a new twig and uh, you, you'll be uh, surprised to see that some companies like uh, their story is they're three passionate hockey guys that played uh, hockey their whole life. And they, you know, we're in just one of them was in manufacturing. One was in social media um, advertising. And they said, Hey, look, uh, I think we got something here. You know, let's use your contacts in the manufacturing world and, and come up with a really cool stick. So get on their website, check them out. If you're looking for a new twig, uh, give them a shot. Um, they look see- pretty cool too. So they got all different flex and um, 
pretty good, pretty cool hockey company for sticks. And, you know, they're not crazy expensive. So uh, all those beer league players that are playing, you don't have to go buy the expensive stick and jump on our hockey and website and buy a stick. We're also giving out a uh, uh, autograph um, picture of Charlie McAvoy. Um, the code word for that is 315. So uh, there's going to be a tweet out there. So uh, three you know, subscribe to us and follow and put in 315. And uh, first one to do that, we'll give them a free autograph um, poster of Charlie McAvoy. And you could also cool. go to our website for uh, uh, ARC Hockey's link, uh, bluelinehockeyclub.com. If you want to go on there, click on their logo, and I'll direct you over to their site. Next week, we'll also be putting out a promo code that you'll get $30, $30 off a stick um with our promo code so make sure you listen this next week and uh we got a couple great interviews coming up so don't miss your show fellas yeah i think they said that puts that price at 100 bucks which makes that stick about 150 cheaper than a name brand so. <laughs> definitely our cocky stick yep okay all right guys great episode theo, theo flurry awesome interview um can't wait to get him back on the show and until next time keep your stick on the ice see ya Widows! Oh, Doctor! Keep your head up. Widows!